as I did in my life, and you too probably. You wake up one day and uh, all these guys told you, you know, this is going to work, and you go around. I went to all these meetings, and they said, just keep on doing it. You're doing fine, you know. And they said, ain't it great to be sober? And I said, oh, they're crazy, you know. <laughs> but they said, keep on doing it, you know. And I got sick and tired of going down there, them guys patting me on my back saying, boy, ain't it good to be sober? You know, it was hell, you know. <laughs> But they didn't tell me where to be all right one of these days. They said, oh, it's great, you know. But finally, I did comprehend the word serenity, and I knew peace. And one day, in a few short months, I woke up, and the obsession to drink was gone. I didn't know when it left. I said to myself, you know, we ain't wanting to drink for two or three days, you know, never to return as long as I keep spiritually fit. And the only thing I had to do was to believe and put the effort. And we, our, you know, if you have a prospect, tell him, you know, this is the way. He says, I feel bad. You know, tell him, uh, don't do it like he did me. Tell him he's supposed to feel bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> don't tell him, it's great, man, ain't it? Ain't it great, you know. <laughs> but this will come as long, and this is how, I, as long as I kept in spiritual fit condition, I have not had this obsession to drink since come to this point. But it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. And rest on our Lord, we're headed for trouble. If we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. Watch this. It's warning. We are not cured of alcoholism. Boy, we have to be careful because we're getting feeling good now. <laughs> uh, we are really have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the visions of God's will until our, all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not my will be done. And then we get into uh, the the second phase of our spiritual lives. After step three, we turn our will and our lives over the care of God. It's a great tool of step 11 through prayer and meditation, through talking and listening to God. And many times, you know, in my religious teaching, I had always been taught the tool of prayer and that prayer was a great instrument. And I think that this is what was so fascinating to me, and I was glad to read about it in twelve in Bill's story where he explained that this was one of the fascinating things that he learned in the program early was the the ability uh, that prayer could be more than an instrument than swaying God's will and listing our petty needs. But it, prayer and medication could be used as tools to receive God's will in our lives. And I think this is uniquely what the program, what the bunch of drunks told me. You know, I had a bunch of people that told me to pray. But these drunks didn't tell me. They didn't, they didn't knock my prayers too much, but they said, man, you don't know how to listen to God. And this great step, the two of talking and listening to God, is where it is a companion thing because once I turned over my direction to God, in step 11 I was taught to talk, to talk, and I learned to listen to God. And it's through talking and listening to God that I can receive His directions in my life in step 11 and the power to carry out His directions, a very useful tool, a very powerful tool in a person's life. And I never like to even mention this step unless I talk about Christ as he went into the garden. He was directed by uh, God to go to the cross and die, a very strong thing to do. He said, now you've got all the strength and the power to get rid of these people and to do anything you want to them. I don't want you to do that. I want you to go down there and let them take your life. Boy, that's powerful directions. When the time grew near, uh, even a man of his caliber, he stopped three times in the garden to wrestle with step 11 
And he said something about, cannot this bitter cup be passed? He wrestled with the will of his maker. He had problems with God's directions. And I know that I'm going to have problems with God's directions. And he, he went through quite a bag in there because he even got to, he even almost got a little self-pity because he, he asked the other fellows with him, why don't y'all watch with me one hour while I pray? But he came out of it by saying, uh, uh, not my will, but thy will be done. And we know that peace and serenity did come back into his life in a great example because he was able to hang on the cross and let people take his life in total serenity and ask forgiveness for the people that were killing him. Total serenity through prayer and meditation. And our book tells us just how to do this. It tells us, here we ask God for inspiration, intuitive, and thought of decision. We ask God. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. This is not really turning it over to God. And in my mind, I know that I have a, a small bit of information in here on my little computer as I look at it. It's limited. And if I direct my life onto that, it's unmanageable. <laughs> but if I have a problem, then uh, I can turn off my little computer. And I have little tapes. And they go, sometimes I go for an answer and it runs out of information. And they just flip, 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 flip. And this is my frustration period. When my little tapes is turning, I can't get no information. <laughs> but I learned to cut them off, relax, and take it easy. Then once I cut these little tapes off, then I'll plug into the giant computer, this power of knowledge, this, this ultimate source in the universe. And while they are off and I relax and I don't struggle, then some additional information is fed into my small computer. And then later on, about an hour later, uh, I start my computer up. And I think about this problem I had that morning that I was thinking about, and something says, why don't you go over and see old Charlie about it? Well, that's some information I didn't have an hour ago. And for many years I used to say, well, I'm sure glad I thought of that. <laughs> you, know. you know. But it says a power from within. Through talking and listening to God, I can develop an ability of a power from within. And then our book goes on to talk about step 11. It says what used to be an occasional hunch becomes a working part of our minds. And we develop a sixth sense of a sixth sense of direction through talking and listening to God. A very powerful instrument. And it says, you know, you have to be careful because you won't be spiritually inspired at all times and you might pay for this in all sort of absurd way. But through great practice, through years and years of practice, and it's up to you as individuals. You know, is how good do you want to go into this? And this is what I think the last three steps where it really sets breaks the men from the boys, and they are growth steps because it don't take too much of this program to not drink, to bring about a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. But then it talks about that some of us have found another dimension of, of living, have been rocketed into another dimension of living and found a little bit of heaven, you know, it's a whole lot more. This offers a whole lot more than not drinking. It's according to where you want to stop. As you can learn and practice day in and day out to talking and listening to God. And each day in my life, I know that I have two things that I can travel up. I have the choice of self-will still yet. I have the choice to use my directions or God's directions. And I wish I could get rid of it, but God left that intact. Self-will is left there. And I have a unique center in my life, and I know that it is, is one center in every life, one center of any, in this room, one center of everything. 
And that when God is in the center of my life, there's some balance because it goes around like a hub. It, 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 he's on the center, and my life is in balance. The resentments and, and the impatience and all these things have some great balance with God in the center of my life. But this center can only be occupied by one thing. And I have the right of self-will, so every once in a while, I retake the center over, and God will have to move off to some other side. And as life spins still around him, there's an imbalance in my life. So I cannot usually, I, as an individual, I cannot recognize when this takes place. I cannot recognize it sometimes whether I'm traveling off of God's will or my will. But through great detection of step 10, I usually can recognize the things when they start getting out of balance. I can recognize the unique moment when there's discomfort in my life. And if I turn, I'll find that it is a problem that grew out of self because I have taken over. I have traveled on my directions. But through step 11, I can learn to talk and listen to God and receive his directions and ask for the power to carry them out. And I think that this is the foundation of, 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 of living after we go through these steps is to grow in the area of effectiveness by using 10 and 11. And, and there's no ultimate, there's no end to what we can grow if we continue to work these, these, these steps. And I think step 11 is a powerful part of a recovered alcoholic's life. Charlie. Remember back in step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And we've been working steps four through ten. And this removes the things from us which keeps us from getting God's will. Now in step eleven at this point, we have probably grown to the point of where we are now ready to start receiving God's will. And we pray, we, we seek through prayer and meditation, talking and listening to God, to try to find out what his will is for us. You know, we have a lot of trouble with what God's will is. But God's will for the human race has always been to put no other gods before me and do what you can for your fellow man. And there's a statement in the big book that says, Shoemaker, stick to thy last. Do what you can do best. And you know, most alcoholics die. I don't know why the alcoholics that are in this room aren't dead. I think every one of us in this room, if we carefully review our past and if we're alcoholic, we have had times which we should have been dead. Maybe car wrecks or maybe various other things. But for some reason or other, there was a power that was not a human power that interfered with that death and kept us alive. And I think this program of Alcoholics Anonymous is a God-given program. And I think God can only work through people, people to people. And I think he watches alcoholics, and I think he sees the ones that he, that he says, I'm going to be able to use this person. But before I can use them, they're going to have to go through all the things that alcoholics go through, or they'll never be able to identify with another alcoholic. And I'm going to let them go through the car wrecks and the jailhouses and the hospitals and the divorce courts and whatever it is that they need to learn what they have to have. But in the meantime, I'm going to save their life. And as he saves their life, then the day comes that he says he's ready for me to use him. And I think he gives each of us a moment of truth. And that moment of truth is the point at which we reach bottom, where we can see what's happening to us because of alcohol and we have the desire to do something about it. And we come to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, 
and we learn how to recover from alcoholism. At this point of the game, we are the experts on alcoholism. You know, all the medical doctors and all the psychiatrists and all the ministers and all the lawyers and all of the learned men in the world don't know as much about alcoholism as we do. Because we have experienced alcoholism, we know what alcoholism is. Because we have experienced a method of recovery from alcoholism, we know how to recover from alcoholism. There isn't anybody else in the world that knows that but we alcoholics. The only asset that we have is our past. Now, we have the opportunity to take our past and our asset of the knowledge of alcoholism and the knowledge of recovery and help other people. And I think God's will for us, those that are fortunate enough to have recovered from alcoholism, is to help other alcoholics. And I think that's all I need to be concerned with. I don't think I need to be concerned with making a lot of money, with having the things that I want. And as I ask God for the power to carry this out, this working with and trying to help other alcoholics, I find that I receive abundantly everything that I need. And that's what I'm asking for when I ask for the power, to give me the power to carry out this will of his. I think also I have to ask for the power to overcome my own selfishness and self-centeredness because, you know, it's not easy to carry the message to other alcoholics. They don't call you at convenient times. They call at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And it's snowing outside and it's cold and your bed's warm and you're tired. But it's time to get up and go. And you have to have the power to do it. And many times I don't want to do God's will. Many times I don't want to do His will. But I've never failed yet to get the power to do it when I've asked for it. Sometimes in our daily lives and living in a society we live in now, we have difficulty in determining whether this job is God's will or whether that's God's will or whether other things are God's will. I have a method that I can always use that if I can't determine what God's will is, I can always determine what it's not. And I can almost see God a long time ago up on top of these mountains saying to the human race that I've given you three basic instincts of life, one for security, one for prestige, and one for sex. And I can almost hear him saying, these three basic instincts are necessary for the survival of the human race, but they are so strong, they're going to make you do things that will throw you in conflict with other people. And as you're thrown in conflict with other people, you will suffer, and you will have pain, and you will have humiliation. And he says, now I would like to tell you the things that you can't do if you want to have peace of mind. And he says, zap, 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 and put down the Ten Commandments. And I find in my life today, if I don't know whether it's God's will or not, I can check it against the Ten Commandments. And any time I break one of the Ten Commandments, I'm thrown in direct conflict with another human being. And if I'm not thrown in direct conflict with another human being since I'm born with a built-in conscience and I know the difference between right and wrong, I'm thrown in conflict with my own conscience. 
I never have any trouble determining what his will is not. And if we've worked these steps up to this point, we now reach what I like to refer to as the twelfth promise. Oh, there's promises all through the book, but I like to call this one the twelfth promise. And it's the beginning of step twelve. Very simple, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And this is a promise to me that if I will work the first eleven steps to the best of my ability that I will have a spiritual awakening. And what is a spiritual awakening? Bill Wilson says in the 12 and 12, there's probably as many kinds of spiritual awakenings as there are people in AA. But he said they all have certain things in common. And that is that we're able to feel and believe and do things that we could not do before on our own strength unaided. And I can feel things that I couldn't feel before. I feel the nearness of my Creator. I feel love for other human beings. I'm like Joe. I had the Hollywood love. I, I had love mixed up with sex and passion. But today I can feel an honest, true concern for other human beings that I could never feel before because of my selfishness and my self-centeredness. I can believe things that I didn't believe before. I can believe that God dwells within each of us. And I can believe that every human being that's alive has both good and bad in him, too. And I can believe that God is always available any time that I turn to him in sincerity. And I can do things I couldn't do before. I can stay sober. And I couldn't do that before. I have no doubt in my mind but what I have experienced a spiritual awakening by the working of the first 11 steps of the program. In step 12, we have two more things. And I like to say that these are conditions to my keeping the spiritual awakening that I had by working the first 11 steps. And the middle part of step 12 says, after I've had this spiritual awakening, then I need to carry this message to other alcoholics. And I don't have the time or the choice or the place. I don't have the right to make the decision as to whether I do or I don't. If my telephone rings, I am responsible to make the 12-step call. I don't have the right to send it to Gary. I don't have the right to call Joe and say, Joe, I need to be somewhere else. Will you go make this 12-step call? If God wanted this man to have somebody else's phone number, he would have given him somebody else's phone number. And what is the message that I have to carry to him? It's a very simple message. That if you've been drinking and you're screwed up in your life, or if you're in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and you're not happy, I used to be just like you are. And I worked the first 11 steps, and I had a spiritual awakening, and I'm not like you now, if you want to be like we are, you work the first 11 steps, and you'll have a spiritual awakening, and then you'll be like the rest of us. This is the message that we carry. And also, in order for me to maintain this spiritual awakening that I have, I must practice these principles in all my affairs. And what are these principles? 
and how it works, it tells us, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. It says the principles we have set down are guides to progress rather than spiritual perfection. And what have they set down? Just before that statement, they put down the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to the 12 and 12, and I open it up to the, to the preface, and it says the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are a set of sp- principles, spiritual in nature, which, if practiced, will ab- expel the obsession to drink. The principles are the 12 steps, and I've got to practice them in all my affairs. Now, it's easy for me to practice the principles here in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I love you people, and I don't want to hurt anybody here. I won't steal from another AA member, but what do I do out on the outside? I will have love and patience and tolerance for people in AA, but how about the other people in the world that I have to live with also? I'm not going to do anything to hurt an AA or an Al-Anon, But how about the other people that I also have to live with? The hardest place for me to practice the principles of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is in my own home. There is where my security is threatened more so than anywhere else. My wife's always spending that damn money that I think we ought to be saving. There's where my sex life is threatened. There's where my pride rears its head when she and the kids don't do what I want them to do. But I spend the majority of my time either in AA or in my own home. And if I can't practice the principles in my own home, I can't practice them anywhere else. And if I don't practice the principles, then I'm going to be back in conflict again with people. If I don't carry the message, I'm going to be bored in AA and the spiritual awakening is going to begin to leave, and I'm going to become restless and irritable and discontented. And then I'm going to look for the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. This is not an easy program. These 12 steps are the most difficult thing to do that I've ever done in my life, but they are not hard to understand. It's a very simple It's a very uncomplicated program. We as human beings complicate it because there's things in there we don't want to do and we try to reword them so that we don't have to do the things we don't want to do. If we will practice the program, we can have the spiritual awakening. And with the spiritual awakening, we are then rocketed into the fourth dimension that they talk about in the big book. You know, I have a life now that that I didn't dream existed. I didn't know that you could live without worry and without fear. I didn't know that you could live without hurting other people. I didn't know that you could live this kind of life. But I found that you can. And it's great. I think the 12th step and, and summing it up, it's, it's been great to be here, by the way. And, and sometimes we wind down on the 12th step and we get a lot of uh, uh, assumptions on a 12th step too but it, it tells us very plainly it identifies a specific person a certain individual one who has had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps it identifies a person a certain individual in AA it doesn't say everybody is supposed to carry this message 
only those who have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Now, those people are supposed to carry a message, and they have a message. Because if something has worked for you, then you know it works, don't you? You know it works. It has already worked for you. So if, you, if it has worked for you, then you know it works, and then you can carry a message to another person. And when you tell another person what you know, it becomes a message of hope for him. That's all. Your faith becomes his hope. And if he takes his hope and comes to believe, he can put actions into what he believes, and along the line one day it'll work for him, and then he will know. And then he becomes a messenger once he knows. And so this is where the first 100 started, and now it's a million and a half of us through this chain that we have formed from hope to belief to work through faith through knowing through caring. And so we know we don't let we don't allow uh, the the program doesn't allow believers to carry the message. No believers don't really have a message. That's too weak. You have to know. So if a, a specific identifies this person and he carries the message of where he got it at. Because we hear a lot of people say, you know, well I carry the message by just living it. And I wonder how many drunks that we walk past sober. If you don't know where you got it at, I don't think you have carried the message. You might have said you got it down in wine gardens or Kroger's or somewhere, you know, one of them grocery stores. But if, if you don't tell him where you got it at, you have not carried the message. And we are not healers, by the way. We carry messages of healing. We care where this healing, how this healing can come back. And I think sometimes some of us get to be healers. Uh, we carry a message of healing, and we have a very humble role, like the prodigal son. He came back home, and he didn't get to be a son. He'd just be one of the servants. So we all have a servant role of carrying a messenger. And so we have to act as messengers and not get upset into the results of our message or anything. Just do our job. This is a humble, very humble role. And I like to look at Paul Revere in, in, the, in this 12th step. He was one of our greatest messengers in history. And he rode through the night saying the British are coming. The British are coming. He did a fine job. You know. And this is the way we are AA members are to perform. He didn't get off the horse and say, now, if I was y'all, I'd tell you what I should do. You know, he didn't, he didn't get into people's business. He just carried the message. And so this is our role. We don't have to, you know, get off the horse and tell, and tell them all what they ought to do this. This is not our role. This is God's business. This is the 12th step. God takes over the how and the why of this. And our role is to just be the humble role of carrying the message to the alcoholic. This is where I got this. And I think that this is something, once we understand this step, this is something that each and every one of us in AA can do and can do very efficiently. We can tell the other person where the spiritual change came by as a result of these steps. Now, you know, he can, he can do what he wants to do with it. So... This is really the icing on the cake, and this is the great service step, the one that breaks the chain, that makes this great chain that, that, that makes the fellowship in which we live in today. Uh, in closing, I, before, uh, I like to say that I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this, and, and uh, this has been great. I hope that uh, there's someone here, that, that regardless of what we said or, or how much of you got out of it, it just, and, and just, if it was still some interest to you to get back into your book and, and to never forget uh, what this program has to offer. You're never going to find it if you would work as hard as you could for the rest of your life. You will never get what this program has to offer in your life. 
And, you know, I really I think this is a great enthusiasm that I have. And at times I like to feel that, you know, uh, I really got to work hard and work fast because I really want to get as much of this as I can. And even as we sit here today, each enough as we actually today, the great belief, the reality is that we sit here today, we all have great lives. But it's a real truth that as we sit here today, our lives could be twice as good as it is if we would work at it. This program offers that. It could be ten times as great as it is today. Now, it's really great. But what fascinates about me that this program has, it can be ten times greater this next year uh, if, I, if I choose to work or I put the effort into working these steps in my life. It's been good to be here today, and, uh, and I'm going to close out. I, I thank you. I really enjoy it. We appreciate you all asking us down here. We enjoy it more than anybody else does. Yeah. Thank you very much. There's no way I can express our appreciation for you all coming down here or the gratitude for being allowed to attend these two sessions. There is one thing I'd like Charlie to share with you. Charlie's real fond about talking about some of the reasons for having to recover from alcoholism, and he's also real fond about talking about these 55-mile speed limits. And Charlie has a little bit more incentive than most of us. I'd like for you to put yourself in his position while you're talking to the highway patrol who asks you your name, address, and telephone number. <laughs> I wondered if Joe would let me tell you where I live. I live in a little town, or on a farm really, but the closest town is a little town called Maysville, Arkansas. Maysville, Arkansas is in the northwest corner of the state of Arkansas. It's the last town before you go into Oklahoma and also before you go into Missouri. Now my farm is really on the Oklahoma side. I have a Oklahoma driver's license. I buy Oklahoma car tags and my children go to school in Oklahoma. But my mailing address, since the closest town is Maysville, Arkansas, my mailing address is Maysville, Arkansas. My phone and my address as shown on my driver's license is all Maysville, Arkansas. Now this little town of Maysville, Arkansas does not have a bank. And the closest bank for Maysville, Arkansas is in a place called Southwest City, Missouri. <laughs> the name of the bank is the Cornerstone Bank, Southwest City, Missouri. Now if you're a rambling drunk, and you're off in a strange town, and you don't know anybody, and you've run out of money, and you need a drink real bad, and you go in a liquor store, and you ask this guy if you'll cash a check. He says, well, I don't know you. Who are you, and where are you from? And you tell him that your name's Charlie Parmley, and you're from Maysville, Arkansas. He says, well, do you have any identification? And I say, yes, I have my driver's license. And I show him my driver's license, and it says the state of Oklahoma on it with an address of Maysville, Arkansas, and it takes about 30 minutes to get this all explained to him, and finally he says, well, all right, I guess it'll be okay, and you whip out your checkbook, and it says the Cornerstone Bank in Southwest City, Missouri, <laughs> and you have a hell of a time getting anything done. <laughs> 
And today I'm deathly afraid of the highway patrol stopping me. If they do, I'm going to jail as sure as hell. They'll never believe me. If you'll all stand, we'll be dismissed with the Lord's Prayer. Wanda, would you lead us, please?